Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. The podcast allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On today's episode, I have Elise Swopes. Elise is one of the original Instagram influencers and learned to connect with a worldwide audience of millions by melding art with a message. Since then, the Brooklyn-based digital artist has worked on countless campaigns, showcasing her surreal cityscapes and colorful style. She's established herself as a leader in the crypto field through her top-selling artwork and tireless support of other creators. On this episode, we talk about Elise's career, why no one calls her a techie or technologist, but she's totally tech AF. And then we talk about her impact on the NFT space. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, make sure to rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to today. Before we hop into the episode, I want to remind everyone that I am still taking individuals who are looking for career coaching. You can set up a 15-minute introduction call with me to make sure that we're fit for each other. One person that I've helped thus far said that Dina McKay provided me a second pair of eyes on my university application, including my essay that I had to submit. Her experience in technology allowed her to be thorough and concise when reviewing my application and gave me so many insightful comments that aided me in having a 100% acceptance rate across all my universities. Without her help, I may have been missing that wow factor that is hard to achieve. I undoubtedly recommend her coaching. So there you have it, folks. If you need help with anything, even your college essays, I am more than happy to help. So again, the link for career coaching will be in the show notes. And if you want some assistance and you want to connect with me, let's have that 15-minute introductory call. All right, so let's jump into the episode. Let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm here with Elise Swopes. Hi, Elise. Hi. For my listeners who might not know the amazing work that you do, can you give a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. Yeah. I am a iPhone photographer and creator, but I dabble in quite a bit of different things from video to illustration to public speaking, really anything that I kind of put my mind to. But I have been leveraging my Instagram following. I've got about a quarter million followers, but I've been leveraging that for different projects uh, with like Adobe and Adidas and Apple. I just noticed I said all A's, which is pretty interesting, but um, but it's been between 100 and 150 different brand or agency projects that I've done over the last decade. So yeah, it's 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 been interesting because now I'm doing NFTs and NFTs are this completely brand new experience. And I'm I'm just super excited to educate people about what's happening. We actually are going to dig into NFTs and all the work that you've been doing. So hold those details for a little bit later in the podcast. (laughs) But to start, you mentioned you are a woman of many hats. People have called you innovator, influencer, entrepreneur. But I want to know from you, what are five words that you use to describe yourself? Uh, I would probably say five words that I use to describe myself would be imaginative, Surreal, colorful, mm, moody, <laughs> and fun. 
Okay. One word that I never hear people use to describe you, though, and I think that you are, is they never call you a techie or a technologist. Uh-huh. No, they don't. And I am tech AF. Yes. <laughs> and so I want you to tell my listeners, because you don't always get the opportunity to talk about your tech side. From your perspective, how do you consider yourself a techie? Man, I mean, I consider myself a techie because I've been on the internet since I can remember. I've loved the internet since I was uh, a child. I actually have a TED Talk called Child of the Internet that talks about me growing up on the internet and just my failures and successes kind of being shown through all these different platforms from Zanga to MySpace to Instagram to Twitter, you know, and I think the fun part about the tech that I use is that I'm much more of like a use what I have type of person. So when I started creating my art, I was a college dropout and all I had was an iPhone 4. And I used that to my advantage to create the art that I couldn't make on a desktop or a laptop or whatever. So just pushing that for the last decade has been such an interesting technological experience because I've I've even been, you know, working with Apple on these different little workshops that they'll invite me to. They've sent me my iPhone for free, plenty of iPhones. They've pretty much paid for a lot of my iPads that I have here. So I definitely feel seen in that way. And I've I've also done some conversations with Girls Who Code, which is such a wonderful organization and even just further from that, I just dabble in tons of different tech. I'm also on the splash screen of Adobe Premiere Pro and people would be surprised because they imagine me as a graphic designer or a photographer or maybe just an outspoken person. But I love to also dabble in creating video and I create a lot of surrealistic different elements in those videos. And yeah, I just, I, I, I just taught myself how to do video in like 2018. So it's, Definitely been interesting to say in the last few years that I've been able to become the splash screen of a program I just learned, but that's who I am. And that's how it explains my tech interests and my tech expertise is I just love, 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 love anything digital. I mean, I also do 3D design. I also have this like little illustrated character that I create, this little giraffe that I make on my iPad. So I just love making stuff. (laughs) But that's what you want to see in tech, right? Is someone who loves to make stuff and is passionate about it because we get hit with a lot of noise when it comes to tech and we don't get to see the fun part anymore. We don't get to experience the passionate part. And one thing I want to go back and touch on is we always think you have to have the latest gadget to do anything or make any influence. You always have to have this most expensive software. I love that you say is that you do with what you have. Yes, for sure. I want you to tell my listeners how you started, what tools were you using, what apps were you using just to get some of your art off of the ground? Well, when I first started Instagram in 2011, I was just posting like selfies and pictures of like mac and cheese. (laughs) To be honest, I still love mac and cheese. If I could post pictures of that, I still would. But (laughs) I think, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't until I found this amazing community of creators on Instagram that were just shooting with their iPhones as well, but they were just taking photos. And I found this, this app called art studio that just allowed me to kind of use the Photoshop and illustrator love that I had from when I was like 
11, 12 years old to, to do that on my phone. So I started like masking photos. I started layering them. I started adding different elements and stuff. And that's where the surrealism came into play, where I just felt like I wanted to do something different and add myself, add some imagination to the empty space or the pieces that were kind of already seen in the community. You know, I wanted to stand out and not just to stand out on purpose, but to stand out because like, I just needed to. I wanted to. I loved it. <laughs> Was there any inspiration that comes when you're creating these pieces? Mostly subconscious in many ways. I mean, I do create things that I love. You know, I pick up pieces of things that make me feel things. I use a lot of fluffy clouds. When there's fluffy clouds outside, I'm excited. I'm hyped. Like, it's a beautiful day. It feels good. You know, or when I see a giraffe, like I put a lot of giraffes in my photos and, and anybody kind of would feel like, wow, damn, that giraffe is beautiful. You know, like just those, those little pieces that I kind of pick up throughout life. I think I kind of put in my work in those empty spaces, whether it's in a sky or in the skyline or in the water, you know, there's just these powerful pieces that I kind of illuminate within the regular reality that make up my art. What I appreciate about your passion behind what you're doing is it's not forced. A lot mm. of time we go on Instagram, you know, it's a perfectly curated Instagram page, or it's a picture that's they've done all this fine tuning, we'll call it, or face tuning. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's not really art. Everything feels forced. Your pieces don't feel forced at all. Thank you. I, that means a lot. I mean, there. I'm not going to say that there hasn't been moments in my career, you know, in the last 11, 12 years where I have been felt like completely authentic. You know, there was definitely periods of time where I felt like I had to put out a piece in the day or else I fell off, you know, or like I had to like, you know, put out a giraffe piece because everyone was asking me about it. Like there were little things here and there that I just had to learn through, you know, which is totally normal, I think, for us creators, because we we can't just be so rigid in our ways. We have to like test and see, you know, what works for us and not just in a way that works for others with analytics, but what, what works for our health. Like I can't post every day and I don't want to post every day because I got shit to do. So <laughs> that's kind of like the thing I grew up learning into was just taking that moment, just being myself and not allowing other people to dictate because the good things will come when you're consistent in your own element. And let's touch on the authenticity and then like putting boundaries, because as you mentioned, people will be like, why aren't you posting? Why you need to post every day? How do you put boundaries <laughs> in place to like keep your energy safe? Boundaries, I think, begin at home with yourself and your practices and your routine they begin in the way that you know yourself and your triggers and the things that bother you and the things that distract you physically, like removing something physically out of your eyesight or out of your space so that you don't engage with it or waking up early so you can meditate and you can read and you can write and you can work out so that you feel good when you get into these different positions where you don't feel like you can stick up for yourself, but then you can because you're so sure because you read a book on that shit, you know, like that's, that's the type of stuff I'm on really now in my life. And I think that's maybe just adulthood and like maybe just failing upward. But at this point, I think my, my biggest and greatest success in any space is just like health, like 
-hmm. and waking up early. And that sets the standard for everything else. I'm very much the same way where I have to wake up like hours before work. So I need to journal. I need to meditate. I have to read some affirmations because the world will pick at you if you're not set. So you have Mm -hmm. to do those things for your own self. And not everyone's routine is the same. So it's like learning who you are and putting boundaries and things in place that are for you are so key. And I feel like you touch on this when you had your TED talk back in 2019, because you talk about Mm -hmm. mental health and growing up on the internet. So Mm -hmm. from compare from 2019, what you say in your TED talk to now, has there been anything that has changed in your mindset? Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) When I said yes to that TED talk, I was so scared, man. I was terrified because I was like, what story am I going to tell? I don't really have a story. I don't have anything to say. And I was working with these students from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, which were where I was speaking at. And we kind of walked through these little meetings with each other about what could I talk about? What could we do? And I think I changed from that moment because I was so afraid. I was like, I don't have anything to say, but I, I just kept going. I was like, I'm just going to keep keep going, keep pushing, keep trying, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the point where I just knew that like, I could really do anything I put my mind to, even if it does, even if it's not perfect, even if it's, even if I feel all these emotions, even if I'm terrified in every single step, like it's still something that I did. And that moment, that kind of situation really stuck with me and just asking for help. Most importantly, was my finances changed a lot after that. I was just so afraid of telling people I was in like a debt. I couldn't, I, I was never financially literate ever in my life. My parents had me and my brother when they were very young and them themselves had their own finance issues. So how could we be taught when other people have not been taught themselves? So there was just a lot of different things that I myself had to go through in the last few years that brought me to this place of like understanding, like trusting myself, trusting a plan, asking for help and putting health first and also recognizing emotions. I think like I've definitely grown since then so much. And I mean, 2019 is only a few years ago, but I've moved out of Chicago since then to Brooklyn in the middle of the pandemic too, in March, 2020. Mm -hmm. And that really tested me. I'm not going to lie. That tested me a bunch because I was just regretting so much right away. I was like, I left my family. I left my house. I left my space. I left all this place to be in this new city, this brand new city. That's one of the biggest cities in the entire world (laughs) during a pandemic a, a pandemic that we have never experienced in our lifetime, you know? So I was definitely crying for a while, but I think I just like, there was something that happened. I was like, boom, nah, let's get it. And then I signed back up for school again, but that's not even like what happened. Really. I actually applied for this thing called life credit and life credit allows my outside accomplishments to be credited towards college credits. So that means now that after this semester that I'm in now, I get to graduate. So I got to skip a couple semesters and I am now back in school and I'm just grateful for being in this position, moving and growing and 
changing because that's the biggest thing since that talk was the talk was like I'm a college dropout and you know I've had problems with drug addiction and stuff but now it's like I'm so healthy and I'm back in school and I'm trying to eventually get my doctorate for psychology one day Mm -hmm. just all those shifts I think have been so wild to watch even from my perspective I can't imagine from other people You mentioned even though between 2019 and now, it's not a lot of time, but girl, we shift every day. I might be a person after I get off of this recording, like (laughs) change. And I think it's good to note that to people because everyone thinks like it has to be this massive, everyone can see it change. No, you could change in five minutes. You could change your mind whenever you want. Yes. Woo. Also, you mentioned the hardships that have come with your life. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people see successful individuals and think like, oh, they've always had it made. And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) this popularity. So let's talk through that a little bit. How do you consider your career as you failed upwards? Mm, Man, I mean, I I almost didn't graduate high school. I was Mm -hmm. always skipping class all the time. And I also had a little problem with Adderall. I would be hanging out with these kids who were like do heroin and stuff. I never did that, but I definitely was around them. And I think in our suburb, there was just like a lot of drug addiction issues. And a lot of people were bored. They didn't know how to handle their emotions. And they were just traumatized by just a lot of different things that were going on around them. I mean, me, myself, I couldn't do that. And so the moment that I pretty much graduated barely. (laughs) I ended up getting accepted into Columbia, Chicago in 2008. And I moved to the city like the day I graduated high school. And I, man, I actually ended up going to school for broadcast journalism because TRL was on TV at the time. And I really wanted to be a VJ really, really bad. I just thought that was such a perfect opportunity, but I had never done anything like that in my life. But find out, you know, in school, you have to write a lot to be a VJ and you have to do like a lot of different stuff and be in radio. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. So I ended up dropping out my first semester and I, I was out for at least five, six years. You know, I was watching everybody around me, like graduate college, watching people get jobs, watching people get married even and have kids and stuff like that. While I'm just kind of still existing in the world like I but 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 it wasn't like I wasn't doing anything I just when I when I dropped out I I had a well I guess I didn't have a plan but I just had a vision so to speak on who I wanted to be and it wasn't somebody who was in a classroom it was somebody who learned in the streets it was somebody who made friends it was somebody who just existed in the world and that's what I did I struggled every day I mean I couch hopped I was assistant to a DJ even in the middle of like me dropping out, I was like a rapper for a little bit. And in between that time, I eventually found Instagram and, you know, had my broken iPhone four with nothing else to my name. And I didn't even have a job or anything. And I was just in like this really desperate place, I guess, where you just have like nothing. And I think a lot of our purpose sometimes comes from that place. Like when you're so broken, you don't have anything left and you just like give. And that's kind of how you build That's kind of where a lot of my most beautiful moments in my life have kind of been built from mm-hmm. is that struggle. And so Instagram came around in that time. And then 
there was also a period of time where I, I thought that I was kind of like, I couldn't, I guess I couldn't really. So this is the thing too. This is wild to me because everyone would say that something was kind of like wrong with me, right? That I didn't want to find like a regular job where I didn't want to go to school. And so the doctors would tell me I had like ADHD or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So they gave me Adderall, which I got addicted to. Okay. So I ended up getting addicted to Adderall and then I ended up having to go to a psych ward, okay, for a week to get clean from it because when I quit it, I was getting so such bad withdrawals that I was feeling like I was going to actually kill myself. Like truly, I was having these crazy thoughts and I, I called my mom and I was like, yo, you need to come get me because I'm actually concerned that I may actually end my life right now because I don't know what is happening in my head. Like I have no control over this feeling. So that's when I went into the psych ward and the psych ward was just so, so scary because it was, it was, it was not safe. It wasn't, you know, me being a young person in my twenties kind of getting clean from a doctor's prescription is like, what the, Right. You know, that'll change you. That'll twist you up. So that, that to me, like changed me. I was like, I'm never going back to that shit ever again. Right. So I, I definitely changed a lot over that period of time, but that lack of purpose and that anxiety and the depression was coming from the fact that I was not healthy. You know, I wasn't eating right. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't reading. I wasn't educating myself. I wasn't like adding anything to my human capital. Mm-hmm. So of course, you know, even with the the Instagram success that came, I was traveling the world, getting all these different jobs, like working with Adidas, like working with National Geographic, like doing so many things, but I was still unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I was kind of like living for other people in a way, you know, where I allowed other people to dictate my emotions because I didn't have the period of time where I have now where I decide my emotions for myself, you know, where we meditate, we read, we write, we, we do work out, whatever. Like I didn't do that. And I didn't think that that was what I needed. So I just made a lot of different mistakes. I didn't feel like, like, even though I would get a lot of opportunity and I felt like I was good at business, I feel like I wasn't good to myself. I wasn't making any sustainable plans like I said, my, you know, I was in debt. Like I, I, there was, and there was nothing that was like sustainable, like I said. So I guess there was a moment in 2016 where I just kind of like looked myself in the mirror and I was like, you need to get it together. (laughs) Like everything I'm telling you, I, I lost, I mean, I, I just, I guess I just really lost everything in a way. Like I just lost myself. I lost like the trust of my family almost like I lost like my friendships because I just wasn't healthy. And so it was like, you need to get it together. So that's when everything shifted for me. Everything shifted, everything, everything. I cut off a lot of different people. I stopped going out at night. I started reading a lot. I started working out so much. I started, stopped eating meat. I started writing too. Then I started doing my sunrise photos and man, I don't know. My life just shifted entirely and I will never, ever, 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 ever go back. <laughs> I feel you. And cause you've mentioned working with brands and I know yeah. that working with brands is not the easiest. I mean, you've worked with Lady Gaga, Apple, Adidas, Beats by Dre, so many different brands. And I want you to tell my listeners what that experience was like working with some larger household names. I think working with large names is fun, 
but it can be difficult because large names requires you to work by their message versus your message. And sometimes you have to fight for your right to be creative in a way. Now, I'm not saying that specifically for like Lady Gaga or the ones that you've mentioned, but it can be a, a difficulty when you realize and you know and you value yourself to the point where you know that someone's asking you for a reason. But then when you present something, you say, well, that's not what we imagined. Well, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so those are the just some things that have come up. But also, there's also sometimes why I have to care. Like I've I've humbled myself to the point where now I'm like, okay, how can I work with them to also get their message across because they're paying me and also asking me for a reason. You know, so there's just two sides to like me now in my business where I'm just like humbled, but also very confident, but also like very aware of who I'm trying to make look good because if i'm working with an agency i want to make sure that the agency when they present it to the brand that they feel confident that they hired the right person and that means they'll come back to hire me again right. um so even when i work with a brand directly i'll study their past advertising i'll study the colors that they use in their website and their logos and their branding and stuff like that and just little things here and there i think really add to the element that keeps people coming back so would you work with larger names in the future? hundred percent. I still do. I got a project coming up with Instagram soon. Oh, see, now you're giving a secret. See, I like <laughs> We got alpha. Hey. Um, our listeners who are interested in working with larger brands, do you have any tips or advice for them? One, how to even get some of those type of deals, but two, how to work with those type of brands successfully? Well, my biggest thing is show the world what you can do on every level. Don't be afraid to go outside of the box. I think people attach too much to their style, to their personality, to this character, you know, the concept of being yourself. While I think that's fantastic, but I think it's limiting to a lot of us because we're creative. We want to do things. We want to create. If you see something, try it. You know, it's the reason why I'm on the splash screen of Premiere Pro it's because I saw a video and I was like, damn, that looks fun. And I feel like I should probably do that. And so I struggled my ass for years. I didn't know how to do video right away. And I sucked a lot of times. Some of the video was trash, but I still like got to a point where I now I, I know how to edit really well. So I think we just have to like get to a point where we're just comfortable showing people the different elements of us. And I think that's kind of the most success that I've had in my career is like, I'm not just an iPhone photographer. I'm also a speaker, an educator, a illustrator, a videographer, a whatever you want me to be, <laughs> because I can do it because that's what I do. I put my mind to shit. <laughs> Definitely. Speaking of being around creatives, I do have to ask myself this question because you lived out one of my dreams you met Kanye West and I had to know what that experience was like. Oh my gosh. You know, being from Chicago, that is such an iconic moment to have in your life, regardless of what he has said or regardless of what he has done in his career up until this point. There's not everything I agree with that he said or done, but I respect him for what he has done for culture, for us, for our memories, for our time, like shit that's not erasable, not at all. Right, um, right. So with that in mind, you know, I was hyped. <laughs> um, so when so so what happened was I was at an event 
at the Ralph Lauren store in Chicago. And there was a GQ drop that was happening for a photographer named Jim Moore. And Jim Moore is a photographer for Kanye for a lot of his GQ covers. And so there was just a lot of people there. It was a pretty packed event, but Kanye ended up showing up and he ended up doing the foreword of Jim Moore's book. So he read the foreword and, you know, announced and said, you know, really happy for Jim, blah, blah, blah. But I eventually get invited to this dinner afterwards by one of the people who put on the event. I just considered it was a dinner with like, you know, regular influencers things. You know, that's what we do. We just go to dinners and everyone eats and talks about whatever we did, you know, post pics or whatever. So we go to the Ralph Lauren store afterwards or the Ralph Lauren restaurant that's next door. Mm -hmm. And I sit down and we're pretty much finished with dinner, to be honest with you. I mean, I just ate my fish. I got my wine and they open up a seat across from me. And I'm like, what's going on? There's like two seats open and everybody's kind of scooching over, scooching over. I'm like, what is this? And so I see Kanye walk in. I'm like, oh my God, if I swear to God, if he sits in front of me right now and I'm sitting, he comes over, he walks over and sit, he sits down. I'm like, oh my God, he's sitting down here. <laughs> so he's sitting in front of me, just sitting right across from me. And I'm just, I'm like, excuse me, uh, more champagne. I'm sipping. Cause I'm like, I got to get the nerve to ask him questions right now. I have to talk to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to let this moment pass without asking him things. Right. So we are talking pretty much the whole time. No one says anything to him. I think they're a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. I was too. But if I wasn't liquored up, I would have been terrified. But I asked him about God. I asked him about Kim. I asked him about Trump. I asked him about his album. And then we also talked about like Bill Cosby. So, you know, me and him, we didn't agree on everything. But what I respected most about him is that he was fine with that. He wasn't like intense he didn't try to change my mind he wasn't trying to like do anything. he's just trying to represent himself he just wanted to talk you know mm-hmm. and that to me really brought him down to like a human being level where i was like i don't think i can talk about him the same way i used to because mm-hmm. i don't see him as like i don't i didn't think that he was like not there or anything he was definitely aware of what's going on sure. but to me it seemed like he just kind of is locked into an idea or something that we just don't know. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what he's seen. I don't know what he knows, but he knows or seen something that he thinks he knows. So I don't know. (laughs) Right. And it's like, (laughs) that makes sense. If he doesn't express it, then we can't know what's going on, you know, in his mind. So he, and he, I'm sure like more things than we have. So. Right. But so after the dinner, he was getting up to leave. And I and so there's like a lot of people around us. It's like a table with like maybe 15 people. OK. okay. And I'm in a booth and I can't get out. But I go to I like so I like go under the table and I slide under like this <laughs> to get to him. And I go, Connie, can I get a selfie? And he's like, sure. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Because nobody else at that table had the balls to do that. I was like, I am getting my selfie right now. I am not letting this moment go to waste. Absolutely not. So, yeah. I can't wait for me to finally have my Kanye moment and live out my dreams. But I'm glad someone that I'm able to talk to someone who actually has had it happen already, because I think that's amazing. It is. It was. He's a good dude. I'm not going to lie. You know, he's very, I wouldn't say misunderstood because I mean, for many people, yes, he is misunderstood. I don't think he's crazy. I don't, I, and I don't really like that term anyway, but you know, I don't think he's, he's, he's unaware, but I, I do think that he may just need to 
just someone to listen, I guess, and just let him just be who he is. And if he's not hurting anybody, then I don't really have a problem with it. I feel you. I feel you. So want to shift gears in that conversation a little bit, because we mm-hmm. cannot end our conversation today without talking about NFTs. Yeah, for sure. I know that you are huge in the NFT world right now. You are doing quite a few things. But before we get into everything you're doing, I think we need to break down what are NFTs and <laughs> the whole process. So let's yes. start with what is an NFT? An NFT. If you think about the internet, right? And, and not everybody understands how to design a website, right? Or HTMLs or CSS or even sometimes even the graphics when it comes to a website. It's kind of like that, right? We don't have to understand exactly all the intricate pieces, but it seems that everybody should and needs to because this is a new type of web interaction where we ourselves kind of have the say-so on how our website is represented. So with that being said, an NFT, a non-fungible token, is represented by many things. It could be a song, it could be an image, it can be a poem, it could be a video, it could be a 3D design, it can be a, a contract, whether it's a house deed, a car deed, it can be information that's based on healthcare even. And that information is saved and ledgered into the blockchain. Now, the blockchain specifically is just a, a just a set of coding like just like a website would be that allows people to interact and to put this information into the ledger so that it stays there so people can view it and it that it's decentralized and people can you know buy it or trade it or you know just view it in general so that's kind of the gist at the end of the day it's not as complicated as people are making it seem it is ran by cryptocurrency which is in the blockchain specifically so it is ran by itself and it is coded by itself so it is automated process that allows us to have control over the monetary gains that we have versus a controlled government monetary gain like say for instance usd right Mm -hmm. so crypto use ethereum as an example ethereum has a market cap and uh, the market cap allows the value of the coin to go up or down, depending on how much people take or give in to that market cap. Now, the U.S. government, <laughs> they just keep adding money in, adding, 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 adding. There's no market cap. So that means the dollar goes down continuously. We have people who do not care about the U.S. market, clearly, but we have people who care about the crypto market. And that's why we as a society need to understand what that means for us. Because we want our dollars to mean more. We want to. We want a market that we are involved in to dictate how our dollar is used or how it grows. Yeah. So when we use NFTs or when we're using Ethereum in the blockchain specifically, that allows us to grow that dollar, allowed us to grow that different type of currency specifically. So that's why this is important because... There are people who understand finance in the right way. There's people who understand governance in the right way. So that's another aspect to NFTs is you can have utility when it comes to your access and ownership to an NFT or a crypto token. So those tokens that are attached to your crypto wallet, that allows you to be airdropped 
maybe some more coins. It allows you to be airdropped free NFTs. It allows you to go to maybe even in the future, a concert. I mean, this allows you unlimited access when you buy that one specific thing to all these different things, depending on what that artist or brand or company decides. So there's a lot of different fun things possible when it comes to this. Let's talk about it from a consumer perspective. I want to buy some of your work. What do I as a consumer need to have in place before I can even begin to think I'm going to purchase anything? Well, I'd say you you might want to make sure that you you have cash to liquidate. This isn't an opportunity for everybody just to feel like they can get rich. You still have to be smart and financially literate to make sure that you understand the risks that you're taking when it comes to NFTs because you can lose money. You can lose money on certain NFTs, You can, but you can gain it back in time, whether it's in a day or a year or a couple of years. You never know. And that's the vitality of it all. But it's kind of like stocks in a way. So in order to even begin to buy an NFT, you would first decide you have the cash and then you would sign up for a platform, whether it's Coinbase or a different exchange. And that is where you buy your cryptocurrency. Now, the cryptocurrency you buy can depend on what you're trying to accomplish. So for instance, there's different platforms to buy NFTs with different coins. So there's a platform called Object that uses Tezos, and Tezos is a green coin. It is a completely environmentally friendly cryptocurrency. And so a lot of different artists use that platform specifically. So you'd have to be able to buy that coin on a certain type of exchange, depending on where you are located in the world. Now, I can't buy Tezos in New York because it's illegal here, but you can buy it in a different state. <laughs> so there's just like a lot of different things to consider, but I I think the easiest coins right now to buy, and especially if you don't want to affect the environment entirely, especially with different types of arguments that come up, which I think are completely valid, is ETH. And ETH is on its way to becoming wonderfully environmentally friendly, and it is one of the most useful NFT cryptocurrencies. So you can use ETH on different platforms like OpenSea or Rarible or SuperRare or Foundation you would first have to have a wallet. Now, a wallet is where you put your coins once you buy them on an exchange like Coinbase or Binance. So once you have them on your wallet, of course, you'll have a bunch of different settings, a lot of setups and, and you know directions on every website that will tell you what you should do, how to do it. But once you make your wallet, there's going to be this thing called a seed phrase that they give you. Now, the seed phrase should not be saved digitally anywhere because people can hack it. And the seed phrase is important because it allows you to get your account back if you lose your password or if you're locked out of your account. And if you cannot find your seed phrase, you will not be able to get your NFTs back. You will not be able to get your crypto back. You will not be able to get anything back. So keep that on a safe piece of paper or or something where you cannot lose it ever in your entire life. And keep it in a couple different places so that if that one place gets destroyed, you have it in another. So not to scare you, but it's just a serious situation. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is get hacked in right. uh, this community. So and people get hacked quite often because it's easy to get scammed. Now, that's another thing I'll add. Be very, 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 very weary of every single link any single person sends you. Do not trust a soul. If they say, oh, I'm going to buy your art or 
oh my gosh, here, buy this NFT. Don't even click the damn link because I don't even know what they're going to do with your stuff. Don't connect your wallet to it. Don't do anything unless you know a hundred million percent sure that it is authentic and that you will actually get what you what you paid for, okay? Because a lot of these things are way too good to be true. If it feels like that, it's wrong, okay? So yeah, get your wallet. And then once you've got your wallet connected to your browser, that's where you'll be able to go and visit these different websites where you'll connect your wallet to the websites and you can create your profiles and you can find you know different NFTs that are in your price point and things like that. But I think one of the greatest places to be in order to learn more about the community is on Twitter. Just follow me and you'll see what's going on. <laughs> This is true because you do keep everyone informed and you talk about the good and the bad parts of NFT. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't agree with the bias stuff. I don't agree with how it's, it's just ignorant to me and it's, it's not truthful. We have to be honest if we're going to make anything better. Oh, for sure. Without an open conversation and being real, that's why things are the way they are right now. Right. We need to keep being honest and tell the stories of what's actually happening somewhere. You see, you know what's up. <laughs> now, we talked about creating like your crypto wallet and all the steps of doing that. How long would you say it takes to do that? Um, I mean, it, you can do that in like five minutes, probably 10 minutes, but actually getting the coins on your wallet probably take up to five days for just the transfer. If you're doing it for the first time, even, but if you're doing it right away, it's like, okay. So we talk about it from the consumer side of you. Now, what if you want to sell your art as an NFT? What do you have to have in place in order to do that successfully and not get hacked? Okay, so it's the exact same thing that I just said, except on the websites, you just mint your artwork. Okay, not a horrible process, but like you mentioned, don't click on every link unless you're like a million percent sure that you can trust that person. Nothing. My biggest advice too is to, when you find those authentic websites like OpenSea.io or Rarible.com, SuperRare.com, you know, those authentic websites, bookmark them because do not like Google them to get to them because sometimes Google will have like the hacker site, like right at the top. You click that and all of a sudden you connect your wallet and then they've got all your stuff and they've stolen everything. That is good to know because I'm sure people, the first place people will go is Google. Like, go to Google. Wow. How do they have the hacker site at the top of the list? Man, I don't know. They'll do anything for money out here. Uh, this is true. true. Don't trust nobody. Don't trust anything. That's it. I don't trust anybody. I'm just saying. I mean, (laughs) you should question everything. So I totally understand. So, okay. So for you personally, I know you have the Sunrise Art Club. Yes. How is that going for you? And also describe what is the Sunrise Art Club for people who don't know? Yeah, thank you. It is a NFT project based on 365 photos that I shot of the sunrise in Chicago. And each person who buys in a sunrise NFT gets ownership of our project. And ownership means they get to decide on different proposals. They get to vote on different artists that we partner with and create with. And they also get rewards in the end. Like if we, for example, when we create our agency and our meditative studio, they'll get rewards for their early um, involvement um, from their token that they hold. So it really depends at the end of the day if they don't sell it. And it's really like a long hold type of situation for our NFT project because we are dedicated to building 
projects for women of color in the space because we've noticed that there is just a huge lack of support for women of color, especially Black women in the NFT space. A lot of white male are just dominating the space, dominating. And for me, I just want to use my art and use this opportunity to give back to women who want to create NFT projects, who want to create educational programs, want to build different things at different conferences, whether it's ComplexCon or things like that. We'd love to support and just see what's possible. Right now in our fund, we have about $25,000 in the last month. So that's pretty great. Yeah. And you actually are leading me to my next question, which is around the pros and cons of the NFT community. Mm-hmm. And as we know, when it comes to tech related things, people of color, specifically black women or black men are often left out of the conversation or at least don't right. feel welcome to come. So what have you been seeing from your perspective with NFTs and people of color? I see some wonderful things, you know, even though there's some difficult stuff, I'm seeing so much togetherness, so much building, so much money being circulated within the Black community who are in NFTs. And I think that's one of the most exciting parts is like when we continuously keep being able to invest in ourselves and invest in other things in this space, we're building like serious generational wealth that I think will change the history of how Black people operate in the financial industry. And I truly believe that. But at the same time, you know, the people who do have a lot of the money are these crypto bros. They're these white guys who have been living on the internet for the last 10 years, you know, and those are not my favorite people. So uh, we definitely have to tiptoe every now and then in order to get some funds from these people. But now it's looking like, you know, maybe we don't have to tiptoe anymore and we can speak up a little because our people are getting the funds and the people who do see us are, are, you know, giving back and doing the part. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do. And actually let's talk about what you're trying to do because you're raising in fame. You're continuing to do work. You're continuing to create amazing content, but you always give back. You're always teaching as you climb up the ladder. And so what are some ways that you've been giving back to the community lately? I mean, I have a mentee program where I mentor 15 people. So we have like these 45 minute calls every month. And we just talk about all different types of stuff from business to personal to plans to the past. And then I'm also, this is some alpha for you too, some behind the scenes info, but I'm working on this project with my friend Drifter Shoots, who's also a wonderful, great photographer in the NFT community and who was also incarcerated for a little bit because he was climbing. And so we are working with 12 incarcerated artists and we are creating a digital gallery for them to sell their NFTs. Um, And I just got all the bios from them and I was crying the other day about them. It's just difficult to read, but it's not something I'm, I'm shying away from because it's difficult. I believe in the accessibility and the innovation and the equity of this new world. And I really want to test its abilities to give back to people who, you know, cannot destroy or end the susceptible prison industrial complex that their families have been locked into or that continued victims have been locked into. If we can end the financial struggle, if we can end this issue, then we can kind of begin to think about other things. For my final question for you today, what is the future hold for you, Elise Swope? 
<sighs> well, the future holds for me definitely health, definitely education, or at least knowledge. Now, this is my thing. Education is different from knowledge sometimes. You know, we can all be educated on things. That doesn't mean it's informational. It doesn't mean that it's useful or it's applicable. I love knowledge because it's like, you know, you know, now we know, now we've experienced, now we've done it. And I am a, I'm chasing knowledge. So me and who I will be is just knowledgeable and always transforming, ever-changing and evolving. And hopefully my hair is longer in like a couple of years. <laughs> Any final tips or advice for anyone listening to the podcast today? Health is wealth. Elise, it was such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much. Seriously, I really appreciate you. And I'm really, really glad we've finally connected. I mean, I feel like we've known each other on the internet for a minute. So it's it's really nice to see your face and, and hear your voice. Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the podcast on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. If you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a written review too, like Sully Sullenberger, who wrote, just listened to the most recent episode and loved hearing Dina talk about the value of certifications. This is great advice and looking forward to hearing more from Dina and her guests in 2022. Reviews like this would help me out a lot and it helps other people find the podcast. So make sure to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Until next time.